0: You guys know this song, let's sing our race our race the day. Started, there were probably three or four or five of you. I was like, That's fine, I'll tight knit audience. We got this. (laughs) I'm not up here normally sitting, so this is definitely a different feeling. I appreciate you taking the liberty to stand. If at any point you need to sit, spread out, feel the need for that space, please take it. This is a place of freedom where we get the chance to gather and we don't have to be here. We get the opportunity to praise and sing and worship together. Um, If you have not met me, my name is Chachi, by the way. I'm the worship arts director here. And each Sunday, I do mean it when I say it's a privilege. And um, just take this time. It's a little different this morning. I wanted to just create space uh, for connection between you and God in this moment with each other. God, we give you this time. In Ecclesiastes, it says that there is a reason and a time for everything under the sun. There's time for mourning, for grieving, for laughing, for rejoicing. There's time to hold pain, and there's time to release. God, I pray we give you this time. I pray that we soften to the ways that it can be because you are God.
1: I'm caught up in your presence well, I just want to sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this home Blessings, but I'm not here for blessings, Jesus, you don't. When I just say another song, I take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. Sing, I'm sorry. I just want you. I just want nothing else. Nothing else. Mm -hmm. Nothing else. Nothing else. Senhor I
0: sang this song for the first time last week to close service and it's the song that says I'll run to the father again and again and again I think too often we find ourselves in places where we think that we got so far in our own strength and it was God that carried us all along It's where you end that he begins. though we can't feel you, sometimes it doesn't mean a lack of presence, that we would step closer to you in those moments with soft hands reaching out to receive a word in that season. We love and praise you, and we pray these things in your precious name. And the church said, Amen.
2: Amen. Well, actually, I have an advantage that you don't have.
1: Ha!
2: <laughs> You're welcome. I kind of know where we're going this morning. And so honestly, that worship was, uh, was, was more reflective probably than you had. Maybe, not maybe, because I know what I believe God wants to speak to you and me about. I love how our worship sets that up every Sunday. Can you leave Jesus behind Uh, And you try to pursue Christianity on your own. Uh, Can you wear your bracelets? What would Jesus do? And really, really try hard to live the way Jesus did. Without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. People try a lot. Sadly, they try to live the way Jesus did. Pure, spotless. Not being a people pleaser. Not living for the uh, identification of this world. Live as free as he did. And and then when they try to live the way Jesus did, as free as he was, in our own power, it doesn't work. And then we think we try Christianity. And that's just not true. So I'm loving this message already because it's dripping with this understanding that I think God really wants for every one of us. Maybe for the first time and or maybe yet again, why is Jesus so important? Take a look with me in your Bible and uh, we're in a series called Case for Christ. Let's go ahead and uh, uh, jump into what I'm calling a tense Tuesday. Uh, This is the last week called the Passion Week that includes Jesus's... uh, coronation, his celebration moment when he goes into the, the capital city of Jerusalem. Uh, it includes his execution. It includes his resurrection. I mean, have you, have you ever had a full week? <laughs> this was a full week. This was a uh, a very busy week, and it's dripping with good stuff that has so much context to it. That's why Mark, you know, for like, chapters 1 through 10, the first 10 chapters, uh, he summarizes three and a half years. The last six chapters, he slows down, summarizes one week. He goes way down because there's just so much dripping from these days. And that's where we're going to continue this Passion Week, this little mini-series of the larger series on uh, Jesus' last week. I already know how God has been uh, working in my life this past week related to some of the imagery that I really want to hold on to um, when I think about Jesus. And I'm going to look forward to how God wants to uh, whisper to you, whisper to you as well. So again, this morning we're going to move forward, but we're also going to be looking at some context. Because honestly, you're jumping into a Tuesday of this busy last week of Jesus you're jumping on to a fast-moving train, and uh, so if you're if you're new to our Grace Point Church out there or here, actually got an email from Asia this morning. Welcome wherever you are, and uh, tuning in. So there's a lot of stuff going on. If you are jumping on, um, you're going to feel like, what have I missed? And so we're going to go ahead and take a little bit of that this morning, and then jump ahead. Uh, so again look way back. I mean, way, way back. Look at Mark 1 verse 1. Don't get nervous. We're not going to go all the way through this series. But again, remember that Matthew was the first gospel writer and he wrote in 41 BC, 41 AD, 41 year AD, uh, uh, this gospel to the Jewish people. And he made this case 41 AD that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and that these Jews uh, we're looking for a Messiah and he came, but most rejected. And so, then post resurrection, post ascension, Mark writes his gospel some years later while there's still some eyewitnesses running around. And then, about 14 years later, 55 AD, uh, uh, that was Matthew, Mark writes the second gospel. And this one is written to the, uh, the people, the Gentiles, in the capital city of Rome. So in a sense, Matthew wrote for the capital city of Jerusalem, uh, where the Jewish hub was, and, and try to reach the Jewish people that uh, it's, it's not too late. Accept Jesus as your Messiah. He was more than a man. He came to be your Messiah. But then Mark comes and says, he came to be more... Then the Jewish Messiah, he came to prove that he was the son of God. And so Mark chapter one, verse one, he goes beyond that the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, he is the son of God. And so now he goes after the Gentiles. But the problem with that is that this Passion Week, most Gentiles miss the Jewish context. And so knowing that, I'm going to kind of slow down because I kind of know who I'm talking to and who, who I am. We got to do a little work. You know, he talks about all these imageries about fig leaves and, and this morning about vineyards and, uh, and, and cornerstones and all these stuff like that. And so we're going to slow down and make sure we don't just run through uh, these, uh, these imageries that are so important. And so again, uh, this week starts on a Sunday, ends on a Sunday, starts on Palm Sunday, ends on Easter Sunday. And so Jesus comes into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, and he is welcomed with celebration. And literally, people are acknowledging that he is more than a man. I mean, they're getting it right. And we talked about this. They got the right Messiah. They just got the wrong mission. And so Messiah, blessed are you who comes, Hosanna, save now, bring in the kingdom that our Israeli forefathers experienced uh, with the king of, of Israel, King David. And so we talked about that. And so CERN, after their expectation, turned to frustration that led to Jesus' crucifixion. And so again, uh, Palm Sunday. And, and they wanted Jesus to come in and start this revolution. And people were amped up. And if Jesus was primarily coming to end earthly oppression and bring a heavenly revolution on earth... That would be the day to do it. They were amped up. They were ready to go. They literally were putting their life on the line, declaring that Jesus was their coming king, riding in on his prophetic donkey. I mean, Jesus had his followers and it was ready to go. He walks in on a Sunday, remember? He looks around the temple and he leaves. Frustration starts to build with the Jewish people. I wonder if we got this wrong. If you were the right Messiah, you wouldn't be leaving now. You'd be, you'd be leading us to become free from this Roman taxation and Roman oppression. So he leaves. He comes back on a Monday. And after he looks around on a Sunday, he starts walking back towards Jerusalem. And don't, don't forget, he, 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 in a sense, picks on a poor fig tree. Do you remember that? And so he, he's coming down about, you know, two miles from Bethany back into Jerusalem. And then moving towards Uh, Jerusalem, off the path that is the the worn Path. It's a very normal uh, road to to get from the east into the east gate of Jerusalem. Everybody is on this road. And then he sees this fig tree off to the path. This fig tree is off and it's waving big leaves, mature leaves. And uh, in a sense, that's false advertising because if you have big leaves, you should still have some big figs. And so Jesus goes over there and there's nothing but leaves, no figs. And then Jesus pronounces a judgment on this poor literal fig tree. We talked about that. Most Gentiles would miss that. It's never about the imagery, it's always about the substance of what the imagery represents. It's not about this literal fig tree, it's about the figurative fig tree that he's about to go into and pronounce judgment upon. Because literally the the leaders, the the, the priests, the, the elders, and the scribes, false advertising. They were waving their leaves. Come, we will tell you about God. Come, we are representatives of God. Come, and we will tell you what God wants from you. No figs, though, just leaves. False advertising. And so Jesus goes in there, and they are misrepresenting God. And they're ripping people off with their currency exchanges and with their sacrificial system that is manipulating people. And so people wanted to do what God wanted them to do, to get closer and, and be reminded of their sin and the, and the importance of a substitute. But the, 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 the management, the, 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 the religious types were taking advantage of that. So people were leaving more frustrated and less clear on the character of God. So Jesus pronounced judgment on how God was being misrepresented. He turns over tables. He doesn't just leave because after you do that, what's going on? He sits and he teaches for hours until the evening. And then he leaves. And during that, he confronts the, the, these chief priests and these, these scribes and these elders. So, so again, math, Mark chapter 11, this is where we were last Sunday, and they came again to Jerusalem, and he was walking in the temple, and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? So this is kind of where we're starting this morning. So what are they talking about? This is on a Tuesday. Literally, they're, they're saying... What gave you the right to do what you did yesterday? You come into our temple. You come in and you mess up our tables. You make a scene and then you teach them as if you're their rabbi. Who do you think we are? So again, that's the issue that's going on. Now, think about this. Now, Jesus confronts them, and we looked at that last Sunday. Not only does he turn on tables, he talks to these people and says, you're a bunch of robbers. You guys are ripping people off, and you're misrepresenting God. Well, these religious types, uh, they didn't like that. And uh, you, you remember, they began to continue to seek how to destroy Jesus, verse 18. So again, what's going on here? So now, my guess is these These religious types, they stay up all night. We got to get this guy. I mean, how dare he come in and turn over our tables and rebuke us and bring judgment upon us? Who does he think he is? How can we go ahead and take him down? They came up with what they thought was a foolproof strategy. Let's ask him a question. And however he answers it, yes or no. We can arrest him. And that's exactly what this was. We got him. So let's go ahead and kind of look at what what, what they did. Then they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, they came to him. Notice who's taking initiative with who. I'm I'm calling this a a timely confrontation. Uh, they, they, They chose this. And they're taking initiative with this troublemaker, Jesus. And they ask him about authority. So uh, so there, there's so much here. Um, let me go ahead and jump right into why I feel like this was a pretty smart move and how it didn't work. Because if Jesus would have said, I am God the Son, I am the Son of God, no one comes to the Father but through me, and he said that before, but but now the priests want him to go on record. And if he claims to be God in the flesh, if he claims to be from God, representing God, and 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 he amps up his declaration of who he is, um, they could arrest him on the charge of what blasphemy. Blasphemy was you pretend you proclaim yourself to be God, and so um uh. Hold that thought because uh, I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let me give you a little bit more context here and then let's, let's, let's catch this up. Let me go to way back to Isaiah 49, 3 through 6. This is going to be important for you to remember. We looked at this a little bit last Sunday and this was the mission that the people... In the Old Testament that God created the Jewish people and then these Jewish leaders were supposed to keep in light of keep keep in mind. Remember Isaiah 49 3 through 6. I'm going to bring this back a little bit later on. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. I will make you as a light to the nations. That is so huge. Jesus never came just for the Jews. This Jewish temple was never supposed to be a national shrine for Jewish history. This was a place where all people can remind it that, yes, there is a sin problem. But, yes, there is a savior for the world that came for all nations. And so all the way through this, God said, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So that was their their, uh, mission. But just as much as they missed Jesus' mission, they forgot their own. And again, let's go back to see how Jesus uh, confronted these religious leaders publicly in front of all the people. Mark chapter 11, this was last Sunday. Is it not written, my house shall be a house of prayer for who? For all nations. Everybody who gets close to this temple should be reminded not about their race, but their, their, their sin situation." Jew or Gentile, and how God came for all. My house should be a, call, a house of prayer for all nations. But you, there's the chief priest. This is why they stayed up all night to try to go ahead and take him out. You have made this into a den of robbers. And the chief priest and the scribes heard it, and were seeking a way to destroy him. Now, I want to go ahead and mention one thing here that I just hinted at last Sunday, but it really is huge, and it, it's more uh, helpful contextual this, this morning. This den of robbers. There was this idea in the Old Testament and now even in the New that the Jewish people were safe. And, and the Jewish people knew God because of their physical symbology, including their circumcision and all their festivals and all their feasts. If we just do the right externals, then we are right with God. And that's just not true. And then uh, no matter what we do or say, uh, God will always protect us because he made us. And he, 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 he called us to be. To be and they, they knew that. The chosen people. But they were wrong. Because back in the Old Testament and New Testament, Old Testament, God sent these prophets to them. And they continually warned the Jewish people. If you don't walk with your Lord, if you don't represent him well as a light to the nations... God's going to remove you from the lampstand. God's going to draw you away from the promised land. And you're going to be ravaged. You will be judged. They didn't believe it. Matter of fact, when the prophets came to say it, they got rid of those prophets. Hey, you're telling us stuff that we don't want to hear. So we're going to declare you are not telling us the truth. That's the Old Testament. It's the same thing for the New Testament. These Chief priests, and these scribes, and these Pharisees, and these elders, they had this idea that they're safe. Remember, we talked about that a den of robbers. They were robbers, but you go into your den for safety. So it's not just what they were doing in temple time where people would come in for their sacrifices and they would rip people off as they're trying to do what God called them to do ever since the day of Moses. No, these chief priests throughout the week, they were ripping off widows. They were taking advantage of the, of, of the, of the position that they had and, and manipulate the system so that they can become wealthy. And so again, throughout the whole ministry of these people, They were robbing people and misrepresenting God. And they felt that they were safe the whole time. And Jesus is trying to help them understand not only their heart that is corrupt, but God's heart that is full of love. But just because he's full of love and grace doesn't mean you can take advantage of that. And you can do whatever you want outside and then come in and play church and be safe from his judgment. You know, I grew up that way, honestly. And this is kind of where it kind of comes into our lives today. And I think this is also why sometimes we are losing a generation of God seekers. And the reason is, is that back then and today, a lot of people live the way they want to. And then they come in and they do church for an hour or so on a Sunday morning. And they come in and they bring their sacrifices. And they come in and bring their prayers. And they come in and bring their rituals. And just as upset and just as passionate Jesus was with them, sometimes he's passionate with us and says, Guys, playing church doesn't make you right with God. And don't think... That is what God wanted you to do. Because literally, as the leaders go, the people go. This is why Jesus was so upset with the Pharisees. Because not only are they ripping people off. They were communicating and modeling. It doesn't really matter what you do out there. As long as you go ahead and show up here on a weekly basis and play church. That is why when Jesus came in and turned over the tables. He stopped the whole sacrificial system. Don't miss that. Because this is is not the way it's supposed to be. Some of you are coming in with your lambs and doves. And you're living like hell, Monday through Saturday, but you're trying to be right with God on a Sabbath day. It doesn't work that way. You just can't just kind of do whatever you want to come in and and, and do a little this and think that this is what God wants. So again, the whole thing was messed up. And Jesus, I'm going to put a stop to this. Let's do a reboot. And that's why he taught for hours after he turned the tables and literally says, no more sacrifices until you recognize and remember Why they were there in the first place. Because these sacrifices are supposed to symbolize a repentant heart that you want to have outside of your religious activities. So all that to say there's a lot of context going on. But they felt safe. This whole context is for Jesus to try to help them understand you're not as safe from judgment as you think you are. Because they thought Israel would always be safe. They thought the capital of Jerusalem would always be secure. And especially this temple will always be. You guys remember in Luke chapter 19, we looked at this last Sunday too. Jesus and Luke adds this that Mark doesn't add. Remember what Luke 19 includes. After the fig tree, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Why does he weep over Jerusalem in Luke 19 before he comes in to their applause? He knows that there's so much hypocrisy and so much misrepresentation. And God loves them so much. He's not going to ignore that. So God is going to pronounce judgment just as he did on the fig tree. 70 AD, a guy named Titus, a Roman emperor, is going to level Jerusalem. It's going to level the temple. There will be nothing but rubble. Not one stone that is left unturned. Jesus knows. And sometimes you don't get anything else up to now. Get this. God's circumstantial interruption on your lives that's painful. is because he loves you. He's not going to just let you go and live apart from him. And play church and do religious things. And thinks everybody and everything is good with him. Sometimes when our eyes and ears don't see and hear, God has to turn up the heat, and that's what's going to happen here. And in fact, in a couple of weeks, you're going to have Barney Cass in here, uh, and two Sundays from now, Rabbi Barney's going to come in, and he can't wait to go ahead and put a Jewish, more thorough context on this dripping week that we call the, the Passion Week. And uh, but I want to give you a little bit of context for that. So now, finally, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's slow down now. Let's walk into this. So I kind of broke this down. I would encourage you to write these words down on your outline because it's a lot. I get that. But I want you to have these words that are kind of more subtitles. Then you need to go home and, and reread and reflect again. So I've kind of broken this down. The first section, verse 27 through 33, is what I'm calling a timely confrontation. After they were embarrassed in front of their followers, the chief priests, scribes, uh, Pharisee types, they stayed up all night. They tried to come up with this question to go ahead and finally get Jesus arrested. Because they know once we get him out of the public, once we get him arrested, he's not coming out. And so what can we ask him? Let's ask him the authority question. Because either way he answers, yes. My authority is from God. No, my authority is not from God. We got him. Let's take a look at this just a little bit. So uh, a timely confrontation. Jesus' authority is discussed. Here we go. Let's look finally again at verse 27, 28. So they they came again to Jerusalem. That's Jesus and and the 12 and his followers. And as he was walking in the temple... These religious types that were confronted the day before on a Monday, they come to Jesus with their question that they're very proud of. And as he was walking in, the chief priests and the scribes and elders came to him and they said to him, we got a question, teacher, right? By what authority are you doing these things? I mean, honestly, who do you think you are? Who or what gives you the right to come into our town, our temple, and do what you did The day before, who gave you this authority to do them? So, again, if I say Jesus, if I say my authority is from God, matter of fact, He's already declared, I am the God in the flesh, I am the Son of God, I am the Messiah, I am the deliverer, I came from heaven. If He says that, And they get him saying that, they can arrest him for blasphemy. I want you to see something. This is a Tuesday. Jesus knows that if I say what is true, they can arrest me. But he knows it's only Tuesday. He knows he's gonna die later this week. Matter of fact, Thursday evening, let's fast forward, and then we're gonna jump back. He does answer that exact question, and he is. Arrested for it. So let's jump ahead a couple of days because this is what Jesus knows would happen if he answers their question truthfully, timely. Take a look at Mark fourteen sixty one. It says again, the high priest asked him again. This is Thursday night. Are you the Christ? Capital S, the Son of the Blessed, and Jesus will say, I am. And just to be clear. You will see the Son of Man. Back in Daniel, that was one of these declarative descriptions of the God man, the Son of God, God the Son, coming down from heaven, having the authority to rule. Daniel 7. I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. That's all they needed to hear. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? We got him. You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? Well, based on his own words, and they all condemned him as deserving death. So on a Tuesday, if Jesus would have said this answer, they would have condemned him right then. And we would not have the Wednesday Thursday, Friday, we would just basically have this arrest and crucifixion on a Tuesday. But again, Jesus knew more teaching and training, more ministry needed to happen. So He's going to go ahead and go to the cross, but He's going to go to the cross in God's timing, and not theirs. So, uh, so Jesus' authority is discussed in verse twenty-seven. 27- and 28. Now let's go ahead and take a look at what I love this. Jesus' authority is displayed. You know, sometimes, well, let me go ahead and wait for that for a second. Let me just, let me share, and then I'm going to give you some context here, because us Gentiles, we're going to miss this. And so (laughs) Jesus' authority is displayed. He doesn't declare himself God the Son, but he acts like it. Take a look at what he says here. Mark 11, verse 29. And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. So they ask him a question about authority. He says, you know what? Before I answer you, I want you to answer me. I have a question for you. Now here's the folks, Gentiles. You don't do that. You, you shouldn't do that. These people, these Priests and scribes and elders, they're not just any religious leaders. They were the representatives of the Jewish governing body called the Sanhedrin. There were a group of 70 elders that didn't just dictate religious truth, but they literally determined the law of the land. In a sense, they were the Jewish supreme court. And so the fact that Jesus would say, I know you want me to ask you, let me ask you a question first. I want you to imagine if you were standing in front of the United States Supreme Court, you're called in to go ahead and, and, uh, and answer a question. I doubt you've ever seen a man or woman after these Supreme Court justices, we have a question for you. Have you ever seen someone? Well, I have a question for you. You just don't do that unless you feel like you have a higher authority than they. So Jesus is displaying his authority before he declares it verbally. Don't miss that. He knows who he is, but he also knows that he's not going to fall into their trap to go ahead and rush the timing of his arrest and crucifixion. So I love this. And so they thought they had this strategy that whatever Jesus answers, yes, I'm from God, blasphemy, we get you arrested. No, I'm not from God. So you're acting on your own? I guess I am. Insurrection. So again, you can't come in here and break our laws. So now we can arrest you for breaking our laws. So either way, yes, blasphemy, no, insurrection, we got you. So Jesus... Doesn't answer their question, but asks his own question. And again, he he returns, in a sense, a trap for a trap. And so let's take a look at what Jesus says. Mark 11, starting in verse 30 and 32. So this is his question after their question. Was the baptism of John, John the Baptist, John the baptizer, from heaven or from man? You've asked me if I'm from heaven or from man. Let me ask you a question. John the baptizer and all the crackers. Oh, we like that guy. I mean, he was the man. He was the guy, the locust and the honey and the the warrior and the prophetic, uh, again, confronter of Herod and Tempest. He's the guy that declared publicly that it really is wrong for Herod to divorce his wife, to marry his brother's wife after she divorces him. Remember all that story, Mark chapter 6. And so again, uh, John the Baptist, as he confronted the uh, Herod Antipas, the, the, the ruler in his arena, uh, he was arrested and then later he was beheaded for it. But he was a very popular prophet because in a sense he told it like it is. And, uh, and so uh, this is, this is Jesus' question. Was the baptism of John uh, from heaven or from man? Answer me. <laughs> That's pretty bold, don't you think? And they discussed it with each other saying, "Ah, If we say from heaven, then Jesus will say, Why then did you not believe him? Because John the Baptist declared me, the Messiah, Jesus, as God the Son, the Lamb of God, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. So we can't say he's from God because we discounted what he said about him. But then if we say he's from man, the people aren't going to like that because they believe he was a prophet from God. They were afraid of the people for they all held that John really was A prophet. So this is where it gets a little bit awkward. For these religious types. And uh, I'm calling this more. Jesus' authority is discerning. It's not discerned. But discerning. What do I mean by that? Just because you're the boss. Just because you have a position of authority. In your business. Or in your clubs. Or communities. Whatever. Doesn't mean uh, other people can bait you. Just because it is the truth, and you can tell the truth doesn't mean you should always say it the way they want you to. Let me unpack this a little bit because this is a big deal. Notice what Jesus does. Mark 11, verse 33. So they answer Jesus, we do not know. Now think about that. That's pretty awkward for them. You know, you're standing in front of the United States Supreme Court, and you, I'm going to ask you a question, they huddled in. We have no idea. You just wouldn't. You wouldn't enjoy that moment if you were uh, behind the bench. They didn't enjoy this either. They know that Jesus had him. But this is what I mean about Jesus' authority is discerning. He stays in charge. He doesn't dictate to others when they're telling him what to do. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Listen to me. Every one of us. We have people that want to bait you into the boxing ring. They want to bait you into to argue with them. They want to bait you into uh, you raising the level of your voice to the level that they're shouting at you. And just because you can doesn't mean you should. There are times that Jesus not only leaned into a fight, but there are some times he even picked a fight with, with these guys. But there were also times he backed away from a fight backed away from an argument. It's always about his purpose and not what he what he might be tempted to do in, in the moment. And so you too. So be in charge. And uh, don't let people bait you. And I love how Jesus says, you know what? I'm not going to answer your question. I realize it's the trap. No matter what I say, you have these soldiers right over there that want to arrest me. So I'm not going to give you the answer that you want. But what he does now Now he leans into it and he literally starts helping the crowd understand. Because again, God, judgment's coming. But God's heart is always about people being spared from judgment. And so he says, let me tell you a story. So now let's take a look at Mark chapter 12. I'm calling this a telling comparison. Jesus compares The Jewish people, and specifically the Jewish leaders in this context, with a vineyard. Again, last week we looked at from Hosea and Jeremiah, when Jesus pronounced judgment on the fig tree. Everybody knows in the Jewish context back then that the fig tree was this symbology of the people of Israel. So along with that, now we're not talking about a fig tree, we're talking about a vineyard. And no longer are we talking about Hosea and Jeremiah. Now we're taking a look at Isaiah. So we'll take a look at this in just a little bit. So a telling comparison. Let me tell you a story, Jesus says. But this story has some teeth to it. This story is is for those who have ears to hear. Back then and today, let me remind you of God's heart. And what he wants from you. Take a look at Mark chapter 12, 1 and 2. And he begins to speak, tells a story. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower. I mean, right there, if... You grew up in Sabbath school from a good Jewish home. You already know, oh, daddy, daddy, he's talking about us. He's talking about us as a people. And that's exactly right. We'll look at that in a minute. A man, let's say, planted a vineyard and put a fence around it, dug a pit for a wine press on the land, and then built a tower for security and protection, and then leased this land to some tenants, To live on it and to work it, and then went away to another country. Verse two. And when the season came for harvest, he sent a servant to the tenants to get them, uh, to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. Now, again, we just think that's a nice story. They understand that's really about Jewish history. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to to, to write on the right side of Mark 12, 1 and 2, Isaiah chapter 5, 1 and 2. Because this is the context. Let me give it to you. Take a look at Isaiah chapter 5, 1 and 2. 700 years before Jesus, before this gospel writer Mark, many people call Isaiah the fifth gospel that was written first. And it's dripping with Jesus all the way through it. And this is part of it. Look at Isaiah chapter 5, 1 and 2. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones, planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the middle of it. He hewed out wine from a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. It produced something different than what the owner intended. And again, you can read that whole passage for yourself, uh, just so you know that it's not just this uh, uh, vague description. Take a look way down to verse 7 in Isaiah chapter 5. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts, God is the one who is the vineyard maker, and the vineyard is the house of Israel. So they know that. They know the scriptures. You can't even get to be these high chief priest types without even memorizing passages like this. So they know that Jesus is talking about them. But I want you to see something that in this story, there's some intentionality to why God planted them in the first place. You remember back in Isaiah 49? Why did God plant the Jewish people? Why did God put a fence around them? Why did God give them a land full of milk and honey? Why did God put a tower of security? Why did God watch over them? It's because he wanted fruit. He wanted glory from them so they can be a light to the nations. We'll talk about this a little bit more. So on your outline, so you don't get lost in all these details. A telling comparison, Israel and a vineyard. And in verse 1 and 2, you see God's provision and you see God's purpose. God provided for the Jewish people. He made them, prospered them, protected them. But there was always a purpose for them. And the problem is, back then and today, they and sometimes we can forget our purpose. It's not for us, it's for Him. So... uh, God's provision, and God's purpose, and uh, so let's let's go ahead and move on now. Verse three: God's patient, God's patience and persistence. Now Jesus adds to the script. Now this is not in Isaiah, but he's already made the case. I'm talking about Israel, and so now let's let's let me add some Jewish history to the story, and that's what Jesus is doing. Notice what he says here. And this displays God's patience and God's persistence. So he he sets up this land. He sets up this vineyard. He sets up this people for his purposes to be a light to the nations. Back in Genesis 12, I'm going to make you a people so that my son can be born from your people. So that he can go ahead and be a savior for all people. They forgot that. They started making everything they do all about them. And we are tempted to do the same today. So God's patience and persistence. So this is Jesus. He keeps adding to the story. And they, they took him and they beat him. Who, who's the him? So after a while, this vineyard owner who has tenants working the land and made sure there was a vat a wine press there. So that when the grapes are, are, are ripe. They can go ahead and be uh, picked. And they can go ahead and be made. Into this wonderful wine. And, uh, and then the servant of the owner is going to come and say. Where's the wine? Notice what they did to servant number one. These tenants. They took him. And they beat him. And they sent him away empty handed. No wine. Again. He sent to them another servant. Notice the patience. He didn't just come and kind of just bring judgment after the first one. But he's persistent. This landowner keeps sending messengers, servants. Again, he sent to them another servant. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent even another. And, ha- and, 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 and him they killed. And so with many others. Some they beat and some they killed. I want you to notice something in this story, though. Jesus is telling this story. I want you to notice the progression of, of, of violence. The, the, the first one, uh, he, he was beat. The second one, he was beat on the head, treated shamefully. The another one, he wasn't just beat and then beat on the head, he was killed. In, in a sense, their heart is getting more and more hardened and Jesus saying, Oh, I wish you had ears to hear what I'm saying. Because my Father has sent to you the Hoseas and the Jeremiah's and the Ezekiel's and the Elijah's. God has been so good to you when you're wayward. He doesn't just bring one messenger, He keeps bring more and more and more. But some you beat, some you killed. And that's where we get the end of Hebrews chapter 11. You know, you remember the martyrs of the last part of Hebrews 11. They're not just martyrs without God's message. These are the ones that come in and wanted to shine bright for the glory of God for all nations. Hebrews 11, some were sawn in two. Some were killed with a sword. I mean, you read the story. And so again, the problem... That Jesus is drawing attention to in the Old Testament. Is the same problem that we read about in the New Testament. And hear me. It's not just about them. It can be very much about us. Because we all have a wandering heart. You're called a sheep in the Bible. (laughs) That is not a compliment. Sheeps wander a lot. And sometimes they can get so. I'm good. Without a shepherd. And they're not. Just like you and I. So God's patience and persistence. And just so there's no confusion, take a look at verse 6. God's final plea after messenger, after messenger, after messenger coming from the owner. Verse 6, 7 and 8. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent Him to them saying they will surely respect my son. So Jesus is coming as the son. I mean Jesus is coming to bring warning to these people. That have lost their way. That have forgotten or maybe never understood in this generation. Why God made them to be in the first place. So before judgment before 70 A.D. Jesus is trying to reach them just like he does today. Finally, he sent to them and saying, They will surely respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. Talk about a hardened heart, something that I think is shouting from this passage. This is the heir. How do they know that this, in this story, that this son was the heir? Because maybe he was dressed like it. He came with the identification papers. And Jesus is saying, guys, just as obvious as they recognize him as the heir, here I am. I have fulfilled every prophecy, where I was born, what I did, what I'm able to do, even riding on a a donkey. And the fact that you are, Fighting me and not following me. It's not about facts. Because I'm here. It's about your heart and heart. This is what Jesus is saying to these people. And verse 8. And they took him. And they killed him. And they threw him out of the vineyard. Just like they will do in just a few days. With God the Son. Similar to Isaiah chapter 5. Take a look at this last one. Now, God's sad pronouncement. Oh, God's always a God of grace. Therefore, God will never bring judgment. Don't you believe that? It'll never be judgment without warning after warning after warning. Let me just go right after some of you. Something I hear. Regularly now for over 30 years. Oh, oh, Pastor Bob, that was a very helpful message. I feel like God was speaking directly to me. It feels like you've been reading my email. (laughs) Ha ha. Those kind of things. Questions. I've had those moments too when I feel like when I read the word of God and God speaks right to me or I listen to another pastor or a teacher, man or woman, bringing wisdom from God to, to me. Oh, I feel like that was the message I needed to hear. Question, what have we done with those messages? Are we any different? Are we any more repentant? Are we following more committedly and closely to God after we know we heard from him? See, hearing and doing are different. So I really want us to put away the binoculars and look at other people who are so wayward and stubborn and hard-hearted. How are you? How am I? There have been times, I know God spoke to me. Honestly, I probably have forgotten half of those moments. And some of those, I know God wants me to go ahead and follow more committedly. So God's pronouncement, verse 9, what will the owner of the vineyard do after all he has done? Well, you might put at the end of verse 9, 70 AD, he will come. And he will destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to the others. In this specific context, it really is not as much about personal salvation. In this context is Jesus coming and helping the Jewish people understand you're not as safe as you feel. You can't just go out there and do whatever you want and hide in this church, hide in this temple, hide in this capital. Listen to the warnings of God. Listen to the messengers of God. And humble yourself. Because if we and they don't, God will pronounce judgment just like he did on the fig tree. May we not just keep waving our leaves and not growing figs. So that's Luke. You might write if you're new and you haven't looked. Luke 19, 41 through 44. We're not going to go there. But again, that's the... Uh, foretelling prophecy of the coming of this Titus Roman emperor in just a few years. And Jerusalem and the the temple will be no more. Let me bring it back now a little bit to Isaiah. And then uh, let's turn a corner in this story from depressing to celebrating. All right. Take a look at Isaiah chapter 5, 1 and 2. I've already given it to you once. Notice this is the earlier story. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. I set you up to succeed. I gave you the choice land and the choice opportunity. He dug it and he cleared it from stones uh, and planted it with choice vines. I mean, you you study how the people were given this land and and the Canaanites and all that. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He he hewed out a, a, a wine uh, press a, a wine pit uh, so they can have the, 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 the wine and he looked for it but it yielded wild grapes and not the grapes he, he wanted I already gave you that let me keep moving on now look at Isaiah 5 4 and 5 what more was there to do for my vineyard that's what Jesus is saying in Mark that I have not done when I looked for it to yield grapes for my glory To represent me, why did it yield wild grapes? They just did whatever they wanted. In a sense, they were wise in their own eyes. How do I feel? How do I want? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its walls and it shall be trampled down. Several times in Jewish history, uh, 586 B.C., 722 B.C., and now we have 70 A.D., Old Testament and New Testament, there were times that God made good on this. He didn't want to do it. Just because he did doesn't mean it didn't grieve his heart back then and today. But listen to me. Back then and today, with them and with us, God loves them and God loves you and God loves me too much to ignore when we wander. He would rather whisper to you and you listen. Oh, that message had my name on it and then I do something about it. I realign my life according to it. He would rather whisper to you. He'd rather speak to you than to pull the rug out from under you. Listen to me. I I, I remember an old pastor told me a long time ago, I've never forgotten. Bobby, humble yourself so God doesn't have to. But you know, there's a lot of times the Bible says, humble yourself. Man, that's that's a better road. And I wish the Jewish people back then did it. I wish I would do it today. So that's Isaiah 5. Let me jump down. The whole chapter is rich. Now there's a lot of woe to you, woe to you. Let me give you just two here. And then then let's wrap up Mark 12. Take a look at Isaiah chapter 5, 20 and 21. This is this coming uh, exile season of Israel back 700 AD, 722, the Assyrians came, 586, the the, the Babylonians are coming, and, and, and Isaiah is writing, guys, listen and learn so it doesn't have to happen again. Notice Isaiah chapter 520, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who sow wild grapes and make up their own rules and laws. Who put darkness for light. It's dark, but I think I'm gonna go ahead and define it as light. And light from God for darkness. Yeah, that's that's not from the Lord. Who, and it, it goes on, verse 21. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Boy, if there was ever a prophetic warning for back then and today, that would be it. So now let's get back to Mark 12, all right? Uh, This is a lot, isn't it? Uh, A a triumphant conclusion. We talked about last Sunday. You don't get to pick who will be your final judge. Remember that? And uh, it would be Jesus. You can deny Jesus. You could want to have another judge. You can try to believe there will be no judge when you breathe your last. But the Bible, because God loves you, is written for you and for me to say there will be a judge. You didn't make yourself. You were made by a holy God and sin will be a a, a catalyst for separation if the sin problem isn't solved. And so that's why Jesus came In the first place. But notice this. A triumphant conclusion. Now this this context here. Is that Jesus. The son. From the owner. Comes. And he's killed. And he's thrown out of the vineyard. Right? Notice though. What happens. Look at Mark chapter 12. 10 and 11. Have you not read. This scripture, and he's quoting Psalms 118 now, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Okay, a whole new imagery here. Now we're out of a vineyard. Now we're in a cul-de-sac, okay? Now we're, we're in a building of a building, not building of a vineyard. But have you not read in the scripture, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. What's he saying? I'm the stone. I'm the sun. I'm the Messiah. And you can reject the stone. You can reject the sun. But that doesn't change the reality of who I am and the fact of where I will be when you breathe your last. That's the point. You you can choose your reality. It doesn't make it so. This is a beautiful imagery here. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. We don't know much about cornerstones uh, in these days because of better architectural and structural designs. Some of you are architects. Some of you are builders. And uh, these days, you have this little cornerstone on most buildings, and it's just for looks. And you have the, the names of a few people that, 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 that you know, designed it or, or, or put a lot of investment into it. A cornerstone. Back then, that's not the case. Jesus is the cornerstone that was rejected. The idea there is, back in those days, when you have rock, because you don't have much wood, so it's built with rock, you have what is called a cornerstone. And the cornerstone is usually bigger and heavier and deeper, and it's the first stone that's put in place. And then it's deeper. It's not going anywhere. And then all the other stones now are lined up so that the wall is straight from that angle that the stone was initially placed. So it really was for alignment and stability because all the other stones leaned on this huge stone. The idea there is if you take out the cornerstone and you try to go ahead and try to make sure it's straight according to how wise your eyes are, it's going to be a crooked wall. You need a measure. You need an absolute. But you also need more stability because every other stone is going to lean on something. You better have a secure cornerstone. You follow me? So that's the point here. And Jesus is saying, listen, the stone that the builders rejected, that would be me. Notice what it says. Has become the cornerstone. I'm still here and I will always be. That's what Jesus, you can reject me. But that's not the last time you're going to see me. Why does he say that? It's because he loves them. Why do I say that to you? It's because God loves you the same. Let's wrap this up. Look at verse 12. How sad is this? This is Jesus going after their heart by sharing God's heart. I gave you everything to be so fertile and to have such a relationship with me and to see what I can do in you and through you for the entire world. And notice how they respond. Look at verse 12. And they were seeking to arrest him. What? After all that. Yeah, you don't align with us. So we're going to go ahead and arrest you. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them, and they were right. So they left him and went their way. You're going to leave and go your way in just a matter of moments, I promise. Don't leave without doing something without God has been whispering to you because he loves you. After all of that, I just have one question for you. Who or what is your cornerstone? Who or what is your cornerstone? I'm not asking you if you believe Jesus lived, died, and rose again. Listen to me. Even the demons believe that. I'm asking you, is it do you Follow the whispers of God. Are you still trying to build your resume to present yourself to a holy God? Cornerstone is for two reasons stability and alignment. Let me give you one old, one New Testament verse about this. We'll call it a morning. Look at Isaiah chapter 28. I love how Isaiah is just dripping with what Jesus was teaching. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem. That would be Jesus, by the way. A firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Jesus is safe to build your life upon. He is safe for all of your worries and pressures to, 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 to be leaning on him. And not just leaning on you and your own understanding. It is a tested and firm stone. It is a precious that is safe to build on. I love this. Whoever believes need never be shaken. Something else, though, remember, a cornerstone is about stability and alignment. There's another whole imagery here that we're not going to pack much, but I want to give you a picture of. I will test you with the measuring line of justice and the plumb line of righteousness. You know, we don't have cornerstones today. We have lasers. Before we had lasers, we have plumb lines. What is a plumb line? It talks about a plumb line of righteousness. A cornerstone is, is to make sure that this edge... That is deep and strong determines the alignment of the rest of the stone. So it goes in a straight line. So you don't just go ahead and just kind of put an eyeball where you think this stone should go. No, you align it based on the firm foundation that you have in your life. And that would be Jesus Christ. In my office, you can't see it too much on one of the walls. I got a bunch of plumb bobs or plumb lines. Every time I prepare a message for here or something else, I look at these and say, God, I don't, want to go, I don't want to just wing it. I want to measure what I say to the word of God. I want to go ahead and not just think what do I want to share, what seems right to me. But you and I all need to measure ourselves against a plumb line of righteousness. Let Jesus Christ be your stability, but also let him be your alignment. So align your choices to, to, to him. Last verse, Acts chapter 4. This is Peter. He goes right back to what he heard Jesus say on a Tuesday. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, you rejected, whom God though raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name, heaven, under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. That was the passion that Jesus shared on a Tuesday. That is the passion that he has for you on a Sunday. You bow your heads. Let's finally pray. Father, thank you for this morning of opportunity, not just morning of historical reflection, not just this morning where there's some interesting imagery that we can be curious to learn about. Father, I pray that this morning is all about understanding more of your heart for us and our tendency to have a heart, a way from you. Father, I pray that many here would choose to make Jesus Christ their cornerstone for stability and for alignment. Father, you have given us opportunities just as you've given the Jewish nation, Old and New Testament, and you're going to want to return on that investment. May we be found faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. That was a packed Tuesday and uh, more, more, more to come. This is now a time to whisper back to God after he has whispered to you. Don't miss this in worship.
1: is my father
2: Closing opportunity for you. Um, One of my life verses is Isaiah. I had to actually look it up, make sure I got it right. Isaiah 33, verse 6. says, he will be the stability of your times. Back then and today. They believed in a coming Messiah. In Jesus' day, they believed in a present Messiah. We have an opportunity to put our faith in the Messiah that's come. And he's still present and he promises you a future with him. Don't miss that. Come back next week. We'll keep walking through this Passion Week together. Um, This Friday night is an opportunity for us to go ahead and party with the community. Many of you have signed up to wear something silly or bring a pumpkin or some candy. So that's this Friday encourage you to go ahead and help make that a success. There's always more room for more trunks and more candy and more pumpkins. So if you want to know more about that, Sierra's outside and she'd love to talk with you, all right? Have a great week. Go Padres. See you soon.